Long Talk Radio. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus. Help me keep the devil way down in the hole. Good evening, folks, and you're listening to another hour of the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date is January 8, 2014, the United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. A lot of things going on today. A lot of things... Uh, you know, a lot of hosts would like to talk about 
uh, stuff that's in the news, but you already know about those things. Obama as derelict commander-in-chief. Why uh, Gates' revelations ring true, reading from the Fox Nation right here and now. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee demands that welfare be changed to Transitional Living Fund. The word welfare be changed to Transitional Living Fund like janitor is now custodial engineer. Secretary is now... Well, I've forgotten what secretary is. What is that? Administrative assistant? Something like that? Well... <laughs> a rose by the other name is still a rose all the same that girl is in the house Mary uh, Alexander Solo Evil Clown is here John Galt is in the house Swing Easy's here um, in, the, uh, in the chat room listening on online well Transitional Living Fund, as if to change the verbiage, really meant anything. A stewardess is now a flight attendant. But what was wrong with the word stewardess? Steward and stewardess. Steward and stewardess. Flight attendant? I don't know. Well, we've gotten... We've gotten as much mileage out of that as we're going to get. Democrats believe people must pay for the privilege of doing business. And that people will only prosper through government spending. Democrats say that they are for the little guy. And are elected on the promise that they will steal from the wealthy who force the little guy to work for less thus stealing their labor. And that's what they campaign on year after year after year. And as we've shown in last night's show, over the last 50 years, nothing has really changed. The war on poverty is a dismal failure, much like the war on drugs is a failure. But the current administration, our president, our commander-in-chief, is going around touting his pledge to end income inequality. How would he do that? Through wealth redistribution. He, he wouldn't be as so foolish, as foolish as he is, to simply confiscate the wealth of the rich, that would cause some serious problems. So he redistributes wealth in the form of his health care policies, executive actions, and the threat to increase the minimum wage. So far, we've increased the minimum wage a number of times. I remember as a young man, when a young, uh, well, a teenager, when the minimum wage was $2.35. 
And I'm sure there are a few of you out there who are listening to the show and some who are not, who are familiar with a much less minimum wage. And wow, when we went up to 335, that was a lot of money back then too. But I also remember when I became a young Marine at the age of 17 and I was making $780 a month as a young private. It went up to just over $800 when I became a Lance Corporal. And I remember when I, when I was owed back pay because I was a Lance Corporal and I wasn't being paid for it for about five or six months. And I received a, a check from the United States government in the amount of $1,500. I thought I was rich. I was 17. That was a lot of money back then. Democrats are what happens when criminals become politicians because they acquire their wealth by stealing. Barack Obama is a rich man now. He's a wealthy man. As president, he is a wealthy man. But it wasn't so long ago when Barack Obama was deeply in debt after a failed congressional campaign against Alderman and then and 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 and, and newly minted at the time Congressman Bobby Rush, former Black Panther, a man who used to feed me breakfast at the local Black Panther Party affiliate. Bobby Rush. He ran against Bobby Rush and he lost. Wound up being some sixty, seventy thousand dollars in debt and Michelle had had enough. She didn't want that kind of life where she was so deeply in debt and she threatened to divorce Barack. She even went so far as to hire a lawyer. Well, this is all common knowledge. Barack was beside himself with grief that his wife was about to divorce him over money issues. She thought that his move into politics was a pipe dream. She wanted to live in a nice fancy house. She wanted to have nice things. And Barack was squandering their money their savings and the future of their young children on a dream of becoming a politician. She actually threatened him with divorce over money. Now Barack is a wealthy man. One wonders how much of his wealth does he spread around now and whether Michelle would even allow it. Because the only thing that saved the Obama marriage, the only thing, folks, was an infusion of cash by some wealthy Chicago businessman who paid off all of Barack Obama's campaign debt. A man by the name of 
Well, Resno. Put them up in a nice house in Hyde Park from the third floor walk-up apartment they'd been living in. Gave them a sweetheart deal on a mortgage. So Resco is in uh, prison right now, federal prison, serving a little bit of time. Barack Obama still has that fine, fine hundred-year-old house in Hyde Park, which he visits every now and then. Mrs. Obama is now living large. She's probably a little happier with Barack now that they're not poor. Is that why Barack Obama is touting his income inequality campaign? Because he was once on the verge of divorce? I don't know. What I do know is this. The problem with an administration that relies upon spin and lies is that it forgets how vindictive the truth can be. All of us know that the truth usually bites back, and it bites back hard. But in an environment where politicized media and and bureaucracy will tell its masters only what they want to hear, the truth is concealed beneath talking points and until it's too late. Like the, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. There is a 13th century Persian poet, Aib Yemen. And he wrote that there are four types of men. One who knows and knows that he knows. His horse of wisdom will reach the skies. And then there's one who knows but doesn't know that he knows. He's fast asleep. So you should wake him up. Then there's the one who doesn't know but knows he doesn't know. His limping mule will eventually get him home. Then there's one who doesn't know and doesn't know that he doesn't know. He will be eternally lost in his hopeless oblivion. And then there's the fifth type of man. We're going to add the fifth man to this poem. That is the man who doesn't want to know because he thinks it doesn't matter. So we've added to the famous poem by Ibn Yemen. The truth is indeed vindictive, but in a horrible, passionless way. Likewise, reality, the space where truth resides, has a calm persistence and and patience that is unmatched by even the most desperate attempts by the human species to avoid it. But Barack Obama attempts to avoid the truth. Which one of the five 
do you think our president subscribes to? Which type of man is Barack Obama? Why do politicians lie? Why do they lie so incessantly? Why do they lie with reckless abandon, utter shamelessness? And why do so many of us fall for every lie? Did you really believe if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor? If you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. Nothing will change. Did you, did you believe that? Now, I've written extensively on the persuasive psychological denial of the political left. And I frequently point out that denial is an equal opportunity defense mechanism engaged by all of us. It is an involuntary, built-in psychic response designed to protect an individual from precipitously having to face unwanted, unacceptable, or threatening feelings or thoughts or behavior. The mind simply blocks out reality and truth and sees what it wants to see or becomes blind to reality. The consequences of denial can vary from extremely mild to extremely extreme. It depends it depends entirely on what aspect of truth or reality is being denied. Do I look fat in this dress? Uh no. Let's consider some of those negative consequences of psychological denial, shall we? By the way, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. We're going to do that, but in the meantime, we're going we're to take a short break. And it's so appropriate that November's coming up, and there's a midterm election. It's not coming up, but you know what I mean. There are midterm elections coming in November. And so we have pulled out of our, our vaults here. See you in November by main, my main man and Rush Limbaugh's too, Paul Shanklin, who does Rush's parodies. Now, I love this one. I've been, I've been waiting, what, two years <laughs> since the day I first played it on Blog Talk Radio to play it again? So here we go. We'll take a short break. We'll come right back. And uh, that's that. We'll be right back, folks. While you're away, don't forget the right. We'll think of you every day and night. Bye-bye, so long, farewell. Bye-bye, so long. Plantation, my baby. We'll be sweeping 
We'll be flipping you the Good afternoon, and welcome to another exciting episode of Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with the coolest co-host, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Annie. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, as always. Southern Sense with the radio chick, Annie, as you just heard, Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Live and direct with GT Rocks. Yo, yo. <laughs> yo, yo. What's going on, my peoples? What's going on, my peeps? Cheesky loves his peeps, he loves his radio family, and you can join him Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 4. Stay up late for Conservative Primetime. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Conservative Primetime. I'm your host, GGT. Speaking of a little less bark and a little more bite, Conservative Primetime is not a show to relax to. It'll get you going weeknight at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, the headmaster himself with the Situation Report, C. Robert Jones, Ph.D. In the interest of full disclosure, I have had just a little bit to drink. <laughs> and catch the Situation Report weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a group of patriotic internet radio hosts. And they would very much like you to join them. And brush your teeth. I mean, tell your friends. All right, we're back. Welcome. Welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Denial. Well, our website's working just fine now. We've got folks signing up in droves. It's all going to be good. Democrats are saying, well, you know, the website is up and, you know, things are running, you know, relatively smoothly by comparison to what was going on. So I guess we might be safe come November. So now they're... Democrats have, re, have become curiously silent over uh, Obamacare. They're not being as vocal as they were initially. One supposes that they are in denial. So let's talk about it. In the long term, 
Well, let's consider some of the more negative consequences of psychological denial. In the long term, denial requires a continued compromise with reality to maintain the pretense that everything is fine, i.e., ergo and to wit, White House press briefings recently, especially, concerning the Obamacare rollout. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Move along. Eventually, delusional thinking, along with paranoia and its inevitable conspiracy theories, begin to take the place of rational thought in those who deny reality for long periods of time. See all the 9-11 conspiracy theorists, for example, in our own country. Or the more recent comments of former President Clinton, once considered a moderate Democrat, who now fully adheres to the model that the Republicans are having manufactured a culture of fear to fool the American public into thinking that Obamacare is going to be monumentally disruptive. The denier must then place the blame for the unacceptable reality on somebody else, i.e. George Bush or Congress, Republicans. It's their fault. They've constantly attempted to sabotage this august and monumental health care law. The reason the website's not working to its full potential is that Republicans have sought repeatedly to defund and sabotage the program. It's the Republicans' fault. Efforts to maintain their denial consumes them. It consumes them. And will lead them to escalate their anger, rage, and attempts to add external blame. The denial becomes untenable and even more obvious. Charlie Rangel, just the other day, stated that anybody who sought to repeal a law that's been placed on the books by Congress, the Senate, and the President is not only delusional, but sick, physically sick. A law, now now get this, a law that was voted on by the Congress, the Senate, and written in the law by the President. Anybody who seeks to abolish the law is sick. The denier will begin to distort language and the logic to rationalize and justify their behavior. Examples of this are too numerous to mention. Eventually, cognitive strategies and rational arguments will be abandoned altogether by the denier, Charlie Ringel. Because those strategies are not sustainable and unable to convince others. At which point, the person in denial will simply refer to his feelings or emotions as sole justification, Charlie, wrangle. 
The denier will feel justified in acting out against those who threaten the peacefulness of their fantasy. The President of the United States, Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid as examples. Nevertheless, the degree of denial engaged in by the Obama administration and their supporters on the political left have been, to be charitable, boundless, and extremely creative. Usually, I give the political left and its more clueless adherents the benefit of the doubt and assume that their unwillingness to face reality was unconscious and was so pronounced and pervasive because they could not attempt or accept the truth that history and the real world had revealed about their beloved and bankrupt ideology, the great Society, the war on poverty, an utter and dismal failure. That ideology, whether it's called Marxism, communism, or socialism, is fundamentally anti-human. What happens when psychological denial ceases to be unconscious and becomes deliberate, willful, and consciously evil behavior, in spite of all the accumulated evidence of its malignant impact on real people in the real world and we've seen it for the last century but history repeats itself and we refuse to learn the lesson at that point we can safely assume that we're no longer dealing with a purely defensive structure in the psyche we're dealing with Aggressive, unadulterated psychopathy. Why else would a man voted for and trusted by millions stand at a podium and just lie when he knows he's lying? And then attempt to explain it away. Now, the traditional definition of psychopathy is a personality disorder characterized by a lack of social responsibility and failure to adapt to ethical and social standards of the community. It's just that simple. If we think about that definition for a moment, we can perhaps begin to understand what is going on in our world today, and the reason that a huge number of people have embraced a psychopathic lifestyle, including and certainly our politicians. Remember that we vote for them and send them to Washington to act as our spokespersons, to act as our representatives. My congressman represents me in Washington and the people of my district. My senator does the same. The president that I vote for. All of that. So 
if I vote for someone who is a psychopath and just lies out his ass every chance he steps up to a microphone, then what does that make me? The president of the United States is a liar. We, no, no, to be fair, we, we've all lied. So I guess that makes us all liars. I can't think of anyone who hasn't lied about something. Maybe there is one or two people still walking around who have never lied about anything. But when the President of the United States stands at the podium more than 30 times and says that, well, I'm not going to repeat the mantra. You know where, where I'm going. And I'm a historian, folks. So when I speak about these issues, it's from a historical point of view. And I also studied a bit of psychology. More than a little bit. I have a master's degree in, in, in the field. But when you apply these uh, history and, 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 and all of these things to real world events, you find that in Western culture, ethical and moral standards used to be, used to be anchored to the real world, to reality. But that's not the case anymore. The call in numbers three four seven eight eight four eighty five hundred. These selfish psychopaths are people who couldn't care less about the individual human being. Individual human beings are expendable, even vast numbers of them, as long as they stand in the way of the implementation of the psychopath's great ideas and compassionate execution of those ideas, i.e. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Don't believe, folks, for one second that President Obama did not know that his health care policy was going to be monumentally disruptive. Not even that clown could be so stupid as to think that his health care policy was going to just roll along smoothly. Not only are the 30, some, the 30 million Americans who are uninsured, still uninsured, more than 10 million Americans who were insured are now uninsured. Who is insured? <sighs> All right. Going to take one more break and we'll come right back. You're listening to the <laughs> You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones situation report. All right, we'll be right back. Now, while Obama's in France and telling everybody over there, hey, you got to help yourselves, the world ought to help, but um, you need to fix your corruption and you need to help yourselves and be great. He would say that here, but that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's Every saying here. Every step you take, every step you make, 
while Obama's in France and telling everybody over there, hey, you got to help yourselves. The world ought to help, but um, you need to fix your corruption and you need to help yourselves. It'd be great to even say that here, but that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's Every saying here. find ourselves in a dilemma, not recognizing and accepting success where it is. Poverty has fallen significantly over the last half century. Since the mid-1960s, average incomes among the poorest fifth of Americans have risen significantly. Infant mortality has dropped sharply, and severe child malnutrition has largely disappeared, but it still exists. In parts of my 18th congressional district in Texas, we have very high mortality rates. It means that our job is not over. Nearly 50 million Americans, however, were poor in 2012, including 13 million children, 60 million people live below half of the poverty line, and large racial disparities in the African-American community were clear and documented. And African-Americans have a lower college degree graduate level than 
white Americans. And so the safety net has to be something for all of us. And as I borrow this from my good friend from California, just to show you a line of Americans possibly looking for work, we cannot point out and we cannot know at this point which one of these are near the edge of poverty or living in poverty simply because they cannot find work. And so it is important to note that there are elements that many discard. The earned income tax credit, supplemental nutrition program, the huge job training and educational investment that President Johnson made on the war on poverty, Medicaid and Medicare, huge safety nets, not handouts, but safety nets. Maybe the word welfare should be changed to something of a transitional living fund, for that is what it is, for people to be able to live. All right. Transitional living fund. Now, the Obama administration is saying that uh, the economy is improving, but then again, it's not improving because there's a wealth disparity. Transitional living fund. I know quite a few folks on the south side of Chicago who are taking advantage of that transitional living fund. Transitional living fund. Now, I'm not a heartless guy. I think we should have a safety net for the truly needy people. I'm talking about veterans who are disabled. I'm talking about our older people who may go without food or heat because of the so-called Great Society, the FDR programs that are running out for them, the promises that were made to those people, that Social Security would be there for them, etc., etc., etc. Safety net for those people. In my opinion, there should be no safety net for somebody who can't find a job or refuses to go out and look for one. Now, understand this. In listening to my parents as a young child, welfare or public aid, as it was called in Chicago, used to be a very strict policy. It, I mean, that the well, it was the welfare person, the welfare lady, as she was called, this was almost always a woman, could come to your house at any time. It was as if she was your probation officer. She could come day or night unannounced. She had the right to enter your home and look around under the bed, in the closets. Anybody see the movie Claudine? She had the right to ask you probing questions, personal questions. Looking around for man's clothes or shoes. Maybe he had some extra stuff. Colored TV. Unaccounted for items. It was very strict. You didn't want to even be on welfare. You didn't want to have anything to do with it. Because there used to be a time if you were going to accept public money, if you were going to accept government funds, you had to account for every single dime. And what that money was going for. 
And if there was a man anywhere around, chances are you were going to be cut off. Because if there was a man around, that meant that that dude was able-bodied and he should be out looking for work somewhere or working somewhere doing something to support you. So if you were a single mother with children, you couldn't have a man around. No man coming around unless that man is paying the bills. And if a man was found to be anywhere around, while the, while the lady was there, uh-oh, chances are you could lose those funds quick. There was no bureaucracy. You were done. Nowadays, though, it's so easy. It's so easy to get those funds. You don't have to account for the money. You can take the – there used to be food stamps, a book, $50 food stamps, $20, $1, $5, and so on, like like money. And they'd come in a book. And you take those food stamps, and you could only buy food with them. Food. That's it. A few years later, the WIC program came in where you got these little coupons and you can buy only milk, eggs, and cheese. That's it. That's all you could buy. Nothing else. Folks would take these food stamps and they would trade them for actual money. Penny is on the dollar. And they would get money for the food stamps, and they take the money to go out and buy cigarettes and so on and so forth. My point, folks, is this. The food stamp program has got – I mean the public aid or the transitional living fund thingy, welfare has gone out and it's out of control. Anybody can get it for any reason. Nearly 50 million Americans are on some form of public assistance or transitional living fund thingamabob. That's, what, that's, that's how we're rolling right now. Anybody can get it. I'll bet as rich as I am right here and now, I could probably go down to the welfare office tomorrow and walk out with an EBT card or whatever the hell that thing is. Because now that's what you get. You get a, a, like a debit card. And you can go out and buy whatever you want with that debit card. I've seen people stand in line. And get gas with their EBT card. Cigarettes? Soda pop? Maybe some munchies? Some pork rinds? Go on out to the car. There's no way that that would have been allowed back in the old days. But now, anybody can get a... Hey, where I come from, if you've got five... Four fingers on each hand and two thumbs, one on each hand, preferably. And you could walk and you could do like a deep knee bend. That meant you could go out somewhere and work. As a day laborer, a moving man, etc., whatever. And you could make money and you could support yourself. You didn't need to have a safety net. A safety net is not for people like me. People who are reasonably physically fit who have the capacity to go out and work. Now, anybody can get a safety net. Anybody anybody is, is safety netable. 
Come on. Oh, yeah. And did I mention back when I was a kid, a young man living on 43rd in Indiana in Chicago, 42nd in Indiana, Chicago, Illinois? If you lived in the projects, and that's what we called the Robert Taylor Homes, and Ida B. Wells, which is not which was not far away. If you lived in the projects, and your rent was well upwards of twenty dollars a month, and if you had a really big family and you had that nice four bedroom corner uh, 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 suite, you were probably paying a whopping sixty dollars a month, and the electricity, you didn't pay for that. Gas, heat, all that was included. If you wanted a phone, boom, you got a phone, you're rocking. You're good because everything else is paid for. Now, here's the thing. You got two children, and you're getting your food stamps. But that's not enough. Who could live on $400 a month? With $60 a month in rent in a Robert Taylor home. You can't live on that. So, how are you going to get, how do you gonna, what are you going to do? You're going to go out and get a job? You're going to get some training? No, no, no. We'll just pump out another two or three kids. Because for every child, you get another $300 in food stamps. Oh, and they used to give out bus tokens, too, so you could get on the bus and go look for work. But they didn't do that. They got on the bus to go visit their friends and all that. Oh, no, of course, they were pumping out the babies. Boom, 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 boom. Not because they could afford them. They wanted to take care of the kids. Not because of that. Oh, I long to have a child, a namesake. Someone who would carry on my genes and my legacy. No, 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 no. I need another 250 to $300. And having that kid or two, my check is going to go up to a whopping 900 to $1,000 a month. And so that's why they're pumping out babies. Yeah, I, it's uncomfortable talking about it. I know. I know. But I'm I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. I lived through it. My neighborhood, Chicago, Illinois, 42nd in Indiana. I'm telling you right here and now, Robert Taylor, Ida B. Wells, surrounded me. So when Sheila Jackson Lee started talking about a transitional living fund, changing the name welfare to transitional living fund and a safety net? No. This has got to stop. It's all got to stop. Safety net for the elderly, for the infirmed, for our veterans, that's it. If you can walk and you've got all your fingers and toes... You're on your own. You're on your own. There was a time, folks, and I'm going to wrap this up, 
when if you didn't have food to eat, you went to the local church, the local food bank, the church had its own food bank, you got stuff there. Or you didn't get anything at all. If you're an able-bodied individual, you do not deserve a transitional living fund. We can no longer afford that. We simply cannot. We don't have the money. We're no longer the richest country on the face of the earth. We're no longer a horn of plenty. The streets are no longer paved with gold. It's time to cut these programs. And it sounds heartless. Of course, I'm a conservative, so I'm heartless and... I don't care about the little guy and all that. But I swear to God, if Sheila Jackson Lee had to come out of her pocket every week to pay for this transitional living fund, I don't think she would. I don't think she would. That's just my opinion. Things are getting out of hand, and we're going to have to put a stop to it. Well, we haven't had any calls today, so I guess we're going to let this go at that. Tomorrow we'll have a new new topic. We'll have some new things we want to talk about. We're on from Monday through Thursday, 8 to 9 p.m., Monday through Thursday. Whatever happened to conservative prime time? You so many folks ask me where... Where's conservative primetime? Where's Jermaine? He had one of the best blog talk radio shows on air, and he is nowhere to be found. I'm going to have to figure out where he is because I'm getting sick and tired of folks asking me. It's like they're not asking me, hey, Doc Jones, how are you? How's your show? No, hey, where's Jermaine? You had a great show. What happened to it? Dude, leave me alone. We're going to do our tribute tomorrow to Larry Hagman, who passed away this time last year. I was always a big fan of Larry, and I'm not ashamed to say that J.R. Ewing was my role model growing up as a kid. No, but so was Blake Carrington of Dynasty. So I sort of balanced things out a little bit. And Dex Dexter, of course, he was always a role model, too. Dex Dexter, (laughs) Blake Carrington, and J.R. Ewing. I won't forget the government subsidies and fraud, government programs like Medicare. We'll talk about that tomorrow just after we put out our tribute to uh, to J.R., to Larry Hagman. In the meantime, folks, I hope you enjoy your evening, and I'd like to once again say there are so many things that you could be doing with your time, but you choose to come in and listen to my show live, or you download it, and I so do appreciate it. I'm up to almost 
almost one-half million listens. That's downloading, live listening, live, live, live listens and downloads combined. I'm almost up to one hundred, uh, almost up to five hundred thousand. I'm at four hundred and nine, four hundred nine hundred, four hundred thousand nine hundred, something like like that, in 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 total listens. And and I've just been on for about two years. It's not too bad. It's the middle of the road, but still, I'm I'm very proud of it because when I first started, I had one listener. Beach Bum, who has since passed away. And he listened to my show faithfully every night I broadcast, and he was my only listener for about three months until Tesla came along and made it number two. So thank you very much, folks, for listening. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We are out. What do I do now? Could we start again, please? I've been very hopeful so far. Now for the first time, I think we're going wrong. Hurry up and tell me, this is just a dream. Or could we start again, please? I think you've made your point now. You've even gone a bit too far to get the message home. Before it gets too frightening, we ought to call a halt. So could we start again, please? Please.